Well, good morning. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm so thankful to see all of you here this morning. For those that are that may be tuning in at home, uh, I want you all to know that uh, we're we're glad to have you all attend here uh, with us at Zion Rest Prince Baptist Church. Any time that you feel uh, willing, we we social distance and we try to make sure that we wear our mask when we need to. So. Uh, if you need a place to, and want to just get out of your house and feel like you're in a safe place, I think this is a very good place to come. So with that being said, uh, this morning, uh, uh, for those that have tuned into sermons in, recent, in, the, in the recent months, that I, I've, been, uh, I've been trying to go through the book of Philippians. And in going through the book of the Philippians, I've been trying to take it from the standpoint of maybe the, uh, the position in which the Apostle Paul was writing this letter and helping to understand that while Paul was in prison, Paul was writing this letter and had a very special affection for the people at Philippi. And I think we uh, understand more of that relationship as we go back and read portions in the book of Acts, where Paul uh, had a desire to take the, uh, the gospel into Asia, but uh, the, the Spirit hindered him from doing that. Uh, and in doing so, a man appeared unto him in a dream, and it was a man of Macedonia that says that asked Paul, says, Come help us. And so when Paul went and came, uh, came to Macedonia, he met a, a, a woman there uh, named Lydia. She was a seller of purple in all of her household. And uh, she heard the Apostle Paul, heard the teachings of Christ, and they rejoiced and were able to, uh, in rejoicing in that, they, the whole of her household was baptized, and Paul stayed with them there, Paul. And uh, then uh, they cast out a woman of divination that really upset some of the local marketers there that were profiting off of her uh, uh, soothsaying and everything else. And Paul and Silas found themselves in prison. And, and in finding themselves in prison, they met the Philippian jailer there. We know the story that the Lord uh, pretty much was going to break him out of jail there when a great earthquake shattered the doors. And uh, the Philippian jailer was ready to take his life. And, and, and Paul yelled out to him and says, we're all here. And then the, and the jailer rejoiced and uh, all of the all of the jailer in his household, they were baptized and were taught the things of Christ. So you have the very beginnings of the church at Philippi there. And we've gone through the first chapter of the book of Philippians and have talked a lot about uh, not only Paul's love, that the church at Philippi met the needs of Paul, but also that uh, Paul was, uh, was willing to serve and just had such a great affection for these people. And he wanted to continue to minister to them and letting them know that his, even though he had a desire to depart, I think Paul, even being imprisoned and after many of the things that he had, where his journeys had taken him, Paul had a desire, I think, to die. He was, he had been called up to the third heaven. He had seen it. And uh, Paul had, I think, a desire to depart, which was better, as he states. But he stated to be here for you is more needful. To be here for the church at Philippi, to write unto them, and to continue to suffer for the name of Christ was, for, was more needful. And so then he goes on in the last parts of chapter 1 to speak about unity. And it begins in chapter 2 about let every man esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. This letter that he was writing was a letter of unity. Wanting people to come together. Be like-minded, be of one faith, be of one accord, being together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in doing so, in expressing this unity, it's very important for us today to, uh, 
to have a unity amongst ourselves as well. It's very special, and for those that may be listening at home, uh, it's very it's very special when a group of people of like mind and like faith come together to worship. Uh, in a world today that we're living in where everybody has an opinion, everybody's got a thought or uh, an idea about this or that, and uh, and you think about uh, the disunity and the and the divisions that are around us all over the United States. And uh, y'all may have heard me speak about this in times past, but it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat or you're this or you're that of this uh, ethnicity or if you're from this culture or that culture or whatever. The one thing that's great about God's house is no matter where, what background you have, where you come from or what your ideologies are, we get to come here together to worship under on, uh, in one faith, in one mind, and love one love for Jesus Christ. And so Paul kind of concludes all that is there were some that were preaching Christ out of uh, strife, envy and strife and contention and some out of truth and love. He says, you know what? Even though they may not be doing it exactly right, he says, I'm going to rejoice at the fact that nonetheless Christ is preached. And I say that's something that we get to rejoice in today. And so when we come to Philippians chapter 2, we come to a section of scripture that Paul's going to uh, uh, start out by saying in chapter five, or sorry, in cha- uh, chapter two, verse five, he says, "Let this mind be in you, which was also in, G- in Christ Jesus." For those that have uh, maybe not have ever attended here before, or for those that are wondering where I'm going to head with this uh, this morning, uh, this morning I, it is it is my intention to try to dissect this verse just a little bit to try to get us to start thinking the way Christ thought. Uh, this morning in our Bible study, for those that were not able to be here with us, we, we talked just a little bit about what this verse is not saying. Uh, by all means, I do not believe this verse is teaching us that we are to be uh, take the, take the, to take the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, I don't believe that this verse is trying to tell us that we have the ability to judge things the way Christ could judge things. Uh, the Bible describes Jesus Christ as the just judge. And uh, there are things that He could judge and do that we cannot do. Uh, for example, uh, in Matthew chapter 23 in His judgment of the Pharisees, and you could turn that right over to John chapter 10, when He basically rebuked the Pharisees and says, the reason you know not the Father is because you're not of My sheep. We don't possess the ability to know whether or not somebody has a changed heart in the way that Christ does. Uh, only Christ know, can judge the heart. Uh, I think we need to understand that. And so this, this verse is in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, was not a gateway verse for us to try to take the place of Christ. It was not ever intended that. What Paul was intending for us to do here is he's going to explain it. See, uh, one of the greatest fears that I have for God's people as they read the scriptures is that they try to take they read the scriptures to, they read the scriptures to justify things they've already formulated in their own mind instead of reading the scriptures and letting the scriptures tell you exactly what is under consideration. Uh, I think context here is very important. So I'm going to read this and then we're going to kind of shift gears into some things that hopefully it'll be beneficial to everyone that, that hears it this morning. So if this, what was the mind that Paul was uh, of Christ that Paul was uh, considering? He says, well, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Some things that I will pause and mention here is that Jesus Christ in His glory decided that, you know what, I'm going to lay aside my glory and I'm going to go down and, be, and manifest myself amongst the people. And He came in the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, but He made Himself of no reputation. See, there are those, there are those today that think that, you, that uh, sometimes we can get... And, and, and again, I, I don't want to misspeak when I say this, but I want to say that, say this way. I think there's a lot of teaching here that, that, can be, that can be said, but, you know, we have to cast out pride in our lives. Most of us today, when we think about having, you know, we, we think a lot about our reputation. You know, and I would even say that uh, the Bible is actually, it talks a little bit about having good reputations. Bible says a good name is uh, is it's um, a good name is better than silver and gold or something like that, and uh, and so you have to understand that it is good to have a good reputation, but it's not to go about making ourselves of some elevated position and making you know show of ourselves. He came in such a way of having no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And that obedience means that the entire time that he lived for the 33 and a half years that he was on this earth, he was obedient unto the will of the Father. I'm reminded, as I read this, I'm reminded so much of the scriptures that I'm not here to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus Christ was completely obedient unto the Father from the time he was here and up until the time that he was obedient, even unto the death, his obedience and going to the cross and dying for his children as he, stay, as he says, he was obedient his entire life. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord the glory of God, to the glory of God the Father. Paul is asking us, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what mind is under consideration? I'm convinced it's the mind of being humble, making yourself of no reputation, and being a servant to God's people. Paul would go on to express his own humility that he actually agreed in verse 17 and 18 of this Philippians chapter 2 where he says, Yea, and if I be offered uh, upon the sacrifice, I think Paul here is directly relating to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 where he's stating that he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you make your bodies a what? A living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service now go on in, in verse 2 and be not conformed unto this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so there's one thing we have to understand here is that paul even himself thought it was uh it was worthy to be a, a servant of god offering his body his life as a sacrifice and service of your faith i joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me so if I jump back to verse 12 in this same uh, second chapter of the book of Philippians, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, Paul now addresses, he kind of stops talking about Jesus, and now he's going to address the people at Philippi. He's going to address them after he's talking to them about being a servant, being humble, be of no reputation. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye, all, as ye have always obeyed, 
Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He's saying, not only have you been obedient and faithful uh, while I've been there with you in person, but now even in his absence, because he's writing to them from a jail cell, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is, and I, I want to pause there to make this very special point. He's not, tell, he's not taking a section of Scripture talking about the humility and the humbleness and the service and the no reputation of Jesus Christ and then somehow transforming in this into telling you, now you go figure out how you're going to get to heaven. He's not telling you that. He's telling you to go work out your salvation right here by being humble. Your salvation is the, uh, the joy and the comfort and the peace and the love and the fellowship of the saints that you will have if you do what the very next verse tells us. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God has worked it in you and me to be humble. He's worked it in me and you not to lift ourselves up in pride. He's worked it in us to be a servant for God's people. He's worked all these things into us to be of that mindset. But I also want to carry it further to having the mind of Christ. So what else can we gather out of the Scriptures of how we can maybe put on the mind of Christ? I think there's a lot of scriptures that we could turn to. Uh, I remember a friend of ours that, uh, that once said that if you want to follow Christ, you got to know what Christ taught. So this morning, it is my intention that I will go through a, a various scriptures, and I'm probably going to stick mainly to the book of Matthew so that we're not jumping books and so that everybody does not get confused this morning. But we need to go back and take a look at some things that maybe uh, we ought to consider about how Christ came and when I mean we could and we are going to eventually begin on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go right back to Matthew chapter five and six and grab some things from the very first teachings because if if and I want to conclude it with this because I think it's important for us to grab at least this one little point out of it because when Jesus came, verse twenty eight of Matthew seven, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at. His doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. Oh, what? So we've got to figure out what did Jesus teach and how did he teach it? And well, what are we to gather from it? Because this was a, a transforming portion and why uh, even the Jews in that day, in the three and a half years of really Christ's ministry that began at the time that he was 30, when he came preaching, it stirred up the Pharisees and the scribes. It, it made them uncomfortable because they were used to the law and not even really the real original Mosaic law that was, that was given in the Old Testament, but their now modern at that time form of the law that they had corrupted and twisted and turned. And so now here comes Jesus and he says, you've heard it said. But now I say unto you, we're going to learn some very unique things this morning. So where would I like to start in thinking about having the mind? First, I want to start with the humility of Christ. I think it's important for us today to understand what it means to be humble. And in the sense of uh, one of my favorite verses that I've always gone to is over in the book of James. And in James chapter 4, you'll read over there in verse 6, it says, But God, uh, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Um, it's, it's so easy for us today to, to, to get caught up in pride. And when I say, and you say, 
and I would say it this way, I think pride comes in various forms. Um, and uh, pride can lead us to thinking more about our worldly possessions. Uh, pride can lead us to thinking how that we're more correct or that we're somehow more holy or somehow more precious or more this or more that than and uh, and I and I want to bring out something that Brother Charles has mentioned for the last several months as he's gone through the Book of Romans. The entire letter to the Roman people was a was a letter that was trying to convince them there was no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. We could go right back to to, to Romans chapter eleven for all were concluded in unbelief. Uh, in fact, let's just go grab it so that I, I don't want to misquote that. In Romans chapter 11, let's see here. Romans chapter 11, verse uh, 32. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. So we have to understand here that this idea that we try to elevate ourselves in the kingdom, we're going to get to some scriptures where the disciples were doing the same thing. Do you remember a section of scripture? It's over in Matthew 18. We'll get there. But they were asking, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know? And then you think about the Mount, the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration where James and John and Peter were there and they're like, well, let's build altars to Elijah and, and Moses, you know. They were thinking, and to you, Christ, you know. They, they're all, they were all these leveling degrees of wanting to uh, find out who's the greatest and who's this and who's that. And we can do that in the church. We can lift ourselves up in pride and I can, I can bring up many examples. We can think somehow, I, I, I hope and pray that nobody here would think the preacher is somehow more important than anybody else here. Don't think that a deacon is any more important. Don't think the person that has been in this church the longest is any more important because we're all sinners in the eyes of God. We're all, and that's why Paul had to spend the entire letter of Romans trying to say, hey guys, I'm concluding all in unbelief so that God may have mercy on what? On all. In order to really, look, you know, really see this, is you've almost kind of got to really understand who you are as a child of God. Who are you really in the eyes of God? And I'll tell you, myself and all of His children are sinners. And I am thankful that only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ can our Lord look on us and see that we are holy and precious because God loved us before the foundation of the world. So we have to understand who we are and where our position is, and our position is we're sinners. Oh, now, Brother Derek, you know, people are all down there, you know, well, I had never done this, and these people over there have done that. Well, now, now you're using sin. Now you're, you're trying to vary the levels of sin. God looks down and sees all under sin. And it doesn't matter which sin. He says, I conclude you all under sin. We could go back and read that in Romans chapter uh, Romans chapter 5 and, and some good teaching out of Romans chapter 6. Uh, you go over and look at uh, Romans chapter 3 where God looked down through heaven and saw there were none good. None of us were good, but only by the love of Christ and the, and the love that He had for us. I mean, we think... I am, so, I am so thankful for these simple teachings, but we go back here to James chapter 4. It says, For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore in God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You can turn right over to James chapter 1, and it says over there, A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, in, chapter, in verse 8 of James 1.8. James 1, so there's something to this mind thing. There's something to having a mind that is of, of Christ, that being a double-minded man or being a sinner and, and being, being, you know, and, 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 I, and I should say, pause and say this. Paul expresses in Ephesians, he expresses in Colossians, he expresses in a lot of the letters that he has written here that there is a warfare that we are fighting. And I tell you, that warfare is a warfare of your mind where you are constantly fighting against spiritual things and your fleshly things, which is why he would tell us to put off the old man, put on the new man. Over in the conclusion of, of the Ephesian letter, he would tell you, now for, you know, brethren, put on, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. In other words, there's some things that we've got to be guarded about. And so now, and Paul writes to the, to the Philippian folks, put on the mind of Christ, folks. Start trying to conform your mind and your thoughts to be like Christ. At any given time, we need to understand that this double-minded nature that we have, there's a clear warning in the Scriptures, and we see that warning over in John, 1 John chapter, 1, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because, there are, because, because many false prophets are gone out into the world, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is Christ has come in the flesh is of God. He's going to go on to explain here that there are going to be those that confess that Jesus is the Christ. There are going to be some that are not going to confess that Jesus is the Christ. He says, Ye are of God, little children, that have over and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he is than he that is in the world. If I had a message to all of God's children today, greater is he that is in you than is in this world. We can turn back over to, the, uh, I think it's in uh, Luke, and you read over there where the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, for the kingdom of God is within you. This spirit that has born you again uh, by, by God's power is greater than you than the spirit and the principalities that are in this world. So then we continue on. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There are two different spirits. I mean, again, we've talked a lot here in recent weeks and months about some things. And I think we need to understand and comprehend just a little bit that there is a spirit of truth. There is a spirit of error. Satan is a real thing. Satan was a real angel that fell from heaven and has deceived the nations and took a third of the heavenly host with him. He is out there trying to deceive people. And then we have God who is above all other gods. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the spirit of truth that comes and teaches us more perfectly through the new birth. And that comforts us each and every day that we live. There, these things are real. These things aren't made up. That's why James warns us, being double-minded, understand what spirit is ruling you. Understand how that we need to understand how to become humble in this world. James would go on to teach a couple of other things. 
And again, I, you're, for those that are listening at home, they're saying, well, I thought he was about talking to talk about having the mind of Christ. And I'm going to get there because we're going to get to some things that Christ said, not things that James said and, and other uh, New Testament writers. Um, uh, we'll get there in just a minute. But something I wanted to bring out of this is uh, something that is, that is very important. And I first want to go to Matthew 15 and come back to James. I want to get there. But uh, in Matthew 15, we're going to be here tw two different times today. But I want to start uh, by something simple uh, in the sense of when it talks about God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble, being not a double-minded person, uh, for a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So something that's very important for us to grasp today, and I think it's so very timely because the world today that we're living in has changed very drastically than when I was young. And for those that are listening on, they say, well, Derek, you are still very young. Yes, I am. Uh, that's okay. But I'm talking about in the, just the last 15 years, things that have changed quite drastically. Social media is one of the biggest things that has changed the culture that we're living in today. Uh, why, is, why am I saying this? Because there are things that we will get on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and other platforms. We will say things to people that we, or we will put them out there for the world to see that we would never say to somebody's face. We hide behind a computer screen. We hide it by the, whether it's in messengers, these little phones, text messages. You will, you will say things, you will do things that you would not necessarily do. Jesus comes and teaches this in a portion of, of Matthew 15. The uh, very similar uh, description of it is laid out in Mark chapter 7. Uh, I think uh, Brother Charles read that a couple of weeks ago. We're going to read the Matthew 16 account or 15 account. Let's go uh, start in verse 10. And he called the multitude and said unto him, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Now, uh, just to kind of give you a backstory, uh, the uh, Pharisees came to Jesus and to his disciples, and they were all concerned because the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate meat, okay? Or before they took bread, excuse me. And so, in saying that, there's another section of teaching that I'll get back to in that, but Jesus actually comes out and says, it's not that which goeth into a man that defiles him, it's that what comes out of a man, that is what defiles him. Go on in verse 13, every plant which my heavenly Father, uh, uh, heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto this this parable. And Jesus says, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do ye not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? In other words, he's talking about just eating food, okay? And it goes in, and it goes out, okay? And he says, But those things which are proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Jesus came and says, Pharisees, you're focusing on the wrong thing. In other words, 
Pharisees, do you even hear yourself that you're worried about whether or not these disciples have washed their hands, yet you don't even understand the own, your, own, your own words that are coming out of your own mouth? That's what he's saying. So now we go back to James chapter, uh, chapter 3. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, are driven by fierce winds, yet are, very, yet, are, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listed. Now there's a lot of teaching there that talks about the little bits that you put in a horse's mouth. My wife uh, grew up more around horses than I did, and fr frankly, I'm not a very fond of getting on horses, but I did get on one. And yes, you can turn that horse with just that itty bitty little bit that you put in the mouth. And yes, great ships are turned with such a very small helm. But even so, the tongue, which is such a little member that we have. And again, I, I'm talking about, eventually I'm going to get to the, I'm, I'm, get, I'm telling you all this because I've got to get all of this to get to where I'm going. Let's just read the scripture and then we'll try. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. The tongue is such a little member and we can say things so quickly. In the culture today, we're not maybe saying it because we're typing it with a screen, but it's just the same as it coming out of your mouth. Okay? So we hide behind these screens and we say the most offensive things to people because we're hiding behind a screen and we're sitting there thinking, we'll be typing like, what are they going to do? They're two states away. What are they going to do? Drive over here and say something? No. Now you're just letting the world know out there how really idiotic two people can really be arguing over a computer screen really i'm reminded of a statement of a buddy of mine he says you remember the old statement it says it's better to keep your mouth shut and be a fool than to open it up and let everybody know that you really are a fool that's exactly the way i think about a lot of things and see that's one of the things that the pharisees didn't the pharisees constantly the entire ministry of jesus christ constantly came and said some of the most oddest weirdest things but also the disciples did too and so we're going to take a look at some things that jesus said and i want us to start focusing really on what does jesus say and how we're supposed to think like he does and that maybe just maybe if we can start to think like christ we can find a way to really humble ourselves how to not have ourselves a bunch of reputation, how not to be so prideful, and how we can actually get busy serving one another, and how to actually learn to control our tongues. I'm reminded of the statement, less is more. Sometimes, you know, I'm remind, speaking about my, my tongue and then different things, I'll, I'll just lay this one for you out there. Sometimes my wife doesn't want me to talk a lot. She just wants me to listen. You know, sometimes we have friends out there that may be needing help and they don't need us to be talking all the time. They just may need an ear for us to, for their words to fall on. 
Control the tongue. Be very careful what you say. Very careful how, what, uh, how you speak. So now we can turn back over to some things that we can start talking. Let's start in the very best uh, um, place that we can start at. Let's go to the Sermon on the Mount. We'll start in John, uh, Matthew chapter 5. And we're just going to kind of begin to figure out if we can start putting things into perspective of how did Christ think about certain things that we deal with today. Um, personally, uh, and I and I, many of you, many many people will be very shocked at what I'm about to start with. I think there's so many places I could turn to, but uh, Jesus starts out with the with the things that we know are very common, and they're called the Beatitudes. And he goes on to talk about how blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, and these types of things. Uh, you know, and he, he he starts out this idea that. I mean, you can read almost all the Beatitudes and it talks about those are humbling themselves, wanting to be a servant. They're thirst hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They're desiring to have the things of the Lord. They're, just, they're poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. They're meek, those that are merciful. And so then he begins to start talking about many different things uh, that may be probably of relevance in the church in the time that he was coming and, and, and bringing this sermon. There's probably some things I could bring out, but I'm going to try to stay on point and not chase too many rabbits. So one of the things that we like, I mean, we as God's people, and I, and I think I started out by saying some of this earlier, but we really get it in our mind that we start pinpointing certain sins, okay? And we elevate the severity of particular sins more than other sins, and I will say that certain sins can have a more immediate impact in your life than other sins. People can go around lying, and they can lie a lot for many, 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 many years, and it never really changed much, and it never really bothered or do anything. But the sin of uh, suicide has a very immediate impact, Right? Somebody taking their own life. The sin of murder has a very different immediate consequence. So we, in our earthly, fleshly minds, we come up with this idea of varying degrees of what sin is. I'll just go ahead and say this before I go into what I'm about to get into. Sin is sin. Okay? In the eyes of God, sin is sin. And I hope we will understand that because if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we've got to understand that I'm a sinner just like any of the rest of the sinners here or any of the sinners that may be listening at home. And I want you to know, by the power of God, God doesn't love me more than He loves you. Make sense? God loves you or He doesn't love you. God loves His people, okay? And we need to understand that if God loves them, we can learn how to love them too. Make sense? That's, the, that's like the ultimate goal of having the mind of Christ is trying to serve. you got to think about the God of glory laid, laid aside His glory to come down here and to serve the very vilest things in His mind. He had to absorb and look, not sorry, absorb. He had, he had to look and be in the presence of sin in this world. Can you, ima can you imagine when, uh, I mean, being in the very being in the very in the very presence of the very thing you hate, 
Yet God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and came in the form of a servant to serve and to teach. So we've got to figure out how to be like he is in the sense of putting on Christ. So let's just start with one example. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Ye have heard it that it is said by them of old time, that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her committeth adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it out from thee. If it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should, be, should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it, uh, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. He's not physically, literally saying, go cut off your arm or pluck out your eye. But he is telling you that this idea of when it comes to adultery, I believe people probably in times past have probably gotten more focused on the very act of the adultery that's about to be brought up in, in, in verse 31 and 30, 32, but not recognizing that, and I'll just, you know what, I'm just going to say it, for, even for those listening at home, there have been families and there have been couples that have been disciplined in the church for adultery. But did you not yourself ever think to yourself after reading that scripture that even the lust of my own eye might have already committed adultery in my heart, that maybe I'm just as guilty of adultery as someone who is, is, was found in the very physical act? Have you ever thought about it that way? Because I have. Why am I to point fingers at somebody else when maybe I'm just as guilty of, of, of what Jesus is calling adultery? See, I think it's important, and, I, and again, as I mentioned earlier this morning, I'll, I'll mention it now, we can go right back to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, where the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they brought a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. And he said, and, he, and trying to trick him up, asked him, you know, the, what is, you know, the law says we ought to stone her. What do you say we ought to do, Jesus? Well, he stoops down in the sand, and I don't know what he wrote that day. Bible doesn't say, so I reckon it might not even matter. Okay? But he stooped down and started to write. And then he stops writing. And he says, let the, let, let the man without sin cast a stone at her. And then he starts writing again. And after a little bit, he looks up and he looks at the woman and says, where are thine accusers? And she says, they've left. He says, and neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. What does this mean for you and I today? Well, I recognize based on time, I'm not going to get to all this this morning. We may go really quickly here. But I want you to know this. We ought to begin to err on the side of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love towards people than trying to turn the house of God into a house of judgment. We ought to be a house of mercy, grace, love, and peace, and joy, and rejoicing and glorying in the Lord. And quit having a house of judgment. Because I'll tell you, I don't want to take the place of Christ. If I, I have no business even having that thought cross my mind to think I can elevate myself to where I can be a, a, to have the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, have mercy on me if I ever get to that place or any of His children ever think they can get to that place. Compassion and love. It's a theme through every single one of the New Testament letters with the Apostle Paul. It's, it's, it's constant. 
charity, love, peace, hope. These things are the theme. For those that are listening, they say, well, Brother Derek, the Bible does say we ought to judge righteously. And Brother Derek, it does say that by their fruit shall you know them. Well, I'm sure it does. I know it does. You're not telling me anything I don't know. But I'll tell you, yes, by the fruits I can recognize things. But if I start elevating myself to a position where I think I'm better and, I, and I'm lifted up in pride and I have some sort of authority to tell somebody that they're not worthy, you see where I'm going with that? I hope you do. I hope those listening at home are kind of understanding some of this. We need to err on the side of grace and mercy and recognize that we, don't, we may not know what somebody's going through. My fear is that we don't even know sometimes when we see repentance. Those that, have, those that are trying to repent, they're trying to apologize, or they're trying to overcome something, and we just ignore it because we say, nope, that's it. You've committed this sin, and we can't, we can't deal with you anymore. And yet they're trying. They're trying so hard to overcome something that they know they're guilty of. And yet we cast them out because we think we're better than them. Lord, have mercy on us. And I've witnessed it. You may, you may not even know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. But it hurts me to see people that are trying. That they're not perfect, but they're trying. And they're trying, and they're trying. And they keep getting turned out by the church. Or by people in the church, or whatever else. All because, you know, we can't be seen with that type of person. i tell you one thing. I love those I love those things I see out there on billboards that says if you ever find the perfect the perfect church don't join it you'll just corrupt it okay we're all sinners folks and we got to understand that we're all sinners and we're in need of help I think about that the love that Paul must have had for that church of the vision of the man in Macedonia that just said come and help us we're we're, we're a group of sinful people that need help and I tell you, we all need help to some degree. And we ought to recognize repentance when some is, someone's asking for help. And when someone's asking for help, go help them. Go help them. Oh, there's so many things, you know, you go on here in verse 31 where it talks about divorce and certain things like that. He says, I've told you, you know, about this divorce. You know what? Divorce, divorce was never even in the mind of Jesus Christ. Moses and the people of Israel demanded a way to get out of marriage. So the Lord allowed them through the law to finally have a way of a letter of divorcement. Okay, marriage is is a is, is a form is a figure of Christ in the church. It was never in Jesus's plan and God's plan to have divorcement running rampant in the world because we are the picture of Christ in the church. Marriage, healthy marriages are a picture of Christ in the church. So that's why when he came in and started talking this way, he says, it's almost like Jesus saying, I don't want anybody to get divorced. It was never in God's original plan, though it happens. I understand there are people out there that have gotten divorces and certain things out there. I want you to understand God still loves you. Just because you got a divorce doesn't mean God hates you. God still loves you, okay? For those that may be listening at home, I want you to understand that if God can forgive me, He can forgive you. He can forgive all of us. 
Because he didn't go to the cross and only say, well, I'm only dying for these sins, but I'm not dying for these sins. No, he didn't do that. He took it all upon him. He took it all. Every single one. He took every single the ones from the time you were born from the, till the time of today. And guess what? For those that are maybe young like me, he's taking care of every sin you're going to commit from today until the time you go home to be with him. And you know what else he's done? He's, 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 he's saved you from every one of the sins that you have thought in your mind and it never came out of your mouth. It may never have been put into action, but it was sin still in your own mind. That message is glorious and worthy to be preached because we ought to understand that God sent his son to die for every single one of those things. It's beautiful. We could go on down here to where it says in retaliation, verse 38 of, of, of Matthew 5, Ye have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye re resist that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. I, I was talking to some folks earlier this week. Um, we can turn right over to Galatians chapter 6, and I'll just grab a verse. You ain't got to go over there. I can grab it really quick. And it says over there, in the last part of Galatians 6, uh, there we go. It says, um, let's see here, verse, verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What is the message of the story is that you're probably going to reap whatever you're sowing. And I've said this probably times before. If you sow anger, don't be surprised if you get an angry response. Make sense? All right, so this idea of retaliation that Christ is under consideration, he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth and tooth for a tooth. He says, but I say to you, if somebody smites you on your right cheek, turn to him the other cheek. In other words, anger produces more anger. If we retaliate or if we, uh, if somebody does us wrong and we're like of the mindset, well, I'm going to get even, you, next thing you know, you're the Hatfields and McCoys. If y'all know that reference, you're the Hatfields and McCoys and you're warring forever and then you've, you've begotten children after children and now your great-grandchildren are fighting and nobody knows who started the fight. Anger and malice produce more anger and more malice. You want to sow things of love and joy and peace and happiness and meekness and temperance, the things of the Spirit, you'll reap of those things if you sow those things. But I'll tell you, if you and, and I'm talking about having the mind of Christ, you want to be a servant, you want to be humble, start sowing the things that keep you humble. Start sowing the things that keep you to be a servant. Start sowing things of love and charity and goodness and things to other people. One of the hardest things here, even in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth the rain to, uh, on the just and the on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same, etc. Verse 48. 
Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in which in heaven is, is perfect. The, the goal here is to start emulating your Father. I was having a great conversation with Elder Carl Staten out in Rogers, Arkansas yesterday. I don't know how we got on this subject. We were talking about raising children. And we just, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a great guy. And sometimes he just has some of the most thought-provoking things that, that just kind of stirs me up. And, uh, you know, we start, we, you know, I told him, I said, the older I've gotten, I recognize that there's more of my father in me than I probably would have admitted 15 years ago or something like that. And uh, there's a lot there. I don't want to embarrass my dad, who I hope is listening at home. He's not feeling well today. Y'all pray for him. Uh, but I w- I'll say it this way. I recognize there's just things where I'm, I'm a lot like him. And I think, you know, Jesus, even in this message, is saying, as your Father in heaven is perfect, start trying to mature. Start trying to grow to be like your Father, which is in heaven. You know why? Because the Lord was perfect at loving his enemies. God was perfect at loving a nation of Israel that he was so long-suffering with that despite everything that they did, even from the moaning and the groaning that when they came out of Egypt, uh, you can go read that in Numbers chapter 11. You can go back to even uh, all the, the complaining and uh, you know the 40 years in the wilderness and even getting you know the so many things that you can talk about. He was so long-suffering. And I think that message to us today is to be the same. We're to be long-suffering with each other. And we're to love those that may persecute us. We're to love those that may despitefully use us or those that may not have the same ideas and thoughts. You know what? Love them anyway. That's what Christ is telling us to do is love them. People may, you know, people may not always think like, and, and I'll say this, in a country today where things seem to be so divided, it is hard right now for those that are of the opposing view Whichever side you are on, it is hard to sit there and say, I love them for Christ's sake. It's hard. But you know what? It's the very thing this country needs right now is for us to start loving one another and quit throwing darts at one another. It's, and again, I get back to some things I said in the Bible. Said, it's so easy to sow anger. It's so easy to sow malice. It's so easy to, be, to have that knee-jerk reaction. I'm reminded of a proverb, be swift to hear, slow to speak. Sometimes we all need to be a little bit more slower to speak. Think about what's actually going on. But instead, we got, we're a culture today with these little devices in our heart, in our, in our, in our hand. Buddy, oh, somebody posted. I gotta, you know, oh, I got to tell them what I think about that. Slow down. <laughs> maybe, maybe they don't need to know what you think. I think I've learned that. People probably could look a lot at my profiles and stuff. I don't do a lot anymore. I reckon there's two things that are constant right going on with me personally. Is One, my opinion ain't that important. And two, I don't think people care that much about my opinion. So, and yeah, that's all right with me. I can just try to be a humble servant of God. So love our enemies. See, Jesus taught some of the great, and again, I'm just touching some high notes here. There's a lot of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and I may come back to several things in the coming months as we continue to have this mind of Christ. I think there's going to be a lot of references that I come back to that very Sermon on the Mount to discuss. But I want to discuss some other things that when he talks about having the mind of Christ. 
one of the last things I want to do is uh, I'm going to, I started with pride, so I'm going to end with pride. I'm going to do that. But I want to bring up one other one first. I want to go back to that 15th chapter of the book of Matthew and bring up something that uh, is very needful for the church today. And I'll say it's very needful for the churches today. You ever have these moments where in the church today you'll have somebody say, well, traditionally we do X, Y, Z. Or traditionally we've done this. Or traditionally we've done that. I don't think Christ, when he came, he wasn't that, he, he didn't care very much about traditions. Uh, and I think it's time for us to understand that just because we've traditionally done something here doesn't mean that we can't modify it a little bit and do something a little different, okay? And you, and you say, well, what traditions are you talking about? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Uh, the only constants in the, in, the, in the New Testament church are singing, preaching, and praying. Those things won't change, okay? We're always going to sing. We're always going to preach. We're always going to pray together. That's what we're always going to do. Now, the other things, you know, how we handle lunches or how we, you know, do we start at 10 o'clock, 1030, all these other things, all the rigidness and all the legalistic things that we can get caught up in because we've traditionally done something. I want to tell you as by the power and the authority of the scripture of God, if it's not in line with the word of God, why do, why do we do it? Why do we do it? If, it, if I can't go and find chapter and verse, then why, why am I focused on it? It's very important. Let's look at the, what the Pharisees did. And uh, I want to make sure that I don't... Uh, okay, I got just enough time. He says here in chapter 15, verse 1, And then, then came to, to Jesus' scribes and Pharisees, which were Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? In other words, Jesus, why are your disciples not doing the tradition of the elders? Okay? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your traditions? See, it's easy now. Now, we, now we're into that phase where I was going back to a minute ago where we're poking fingers. Well, here come the Pharisees. Why aren't, you, why, aren't, why aren't the disciples doing the traditions? Well, if you're accusing us of not following traditions, why are you not following the traditions? A lot of teaching and all that. I'm going to let your mind kind of you know, ponder that, and maybe we'll touch on that for uh, at another time. But I tell you, we get to poking fingers about things, and here's what Jesus says. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that cursed the father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be set free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. He then calls them, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. If we're not careful, we'll leave the authority of the Scriptures and we'll start teaching the ideologies and the traditions of our traditions and not the scriptural things, if that makes sense. That's the warning. 
is we have to be very careful is, well, you know, is, is what we're traditionally doing, do we do this because it lines up with the Word of God? Or is this just something over time that we've developed doing and we need to be cognizant of that? So if we're going to put on the mind of Christ, we need to be aware of what does the Bible say about it? Not what we as men say about it or we as men and women. Excuse me, I don't want to be insensitive. Uh, so uh, the last thing that I will leave you with is... Uh, as I stated, I began with pride, so I'm going to end with pride. And I'm obviously not going to get to several other things, but I'll just mention them to you as we close out this morning. In Matthew chapter 18, the disciples came uh, asking Jesus, well, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus, again, as only really Jesus can do, He has to kind of get them off of the way they're thinking and realize that there is a lesson to be learned here. And So they came to Him and said, verse 2, uh, verse 1, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2, And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever thou shalt humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one of such a little child in my name receiveth me. We get so caught up about Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who's this? Who's that? Or whatever. And recognize we ought to all humble ourselves and be as little children who desire. You know, I still I love having children. I've, I have really, really loved having children with my wife and, and seeing how little children, little children, and why God must have used them so consistently in the scriptures to describe the people as they're entering into to God's kingdom, God's spiritual kingdom. Why? Children is a, is a great example because their innocence is so beautiful. They cry out to daddy and mommy for things that they just, they just know because daddy's going to provide or mommy's going to provide. And it's, it's, such a, it's such a beautiful thing to see the innocence of a child. And, and even when my son, just the other night, I, I had to, I had to discipline my child twice in a row and it really kind of irritated me very hard. But as soon as I, as soon as I got home, it was daddy's home, daddy's home. You know, it's like, it's like he didn't even care about the discipline. He still loved me. And then that thought provoking, should we, should, do we, do we ourselves even get, and I talk about having the mind of Christ. Do we get angry at the chast, at the chastisement of our God? Or does it make us want to draw closer to him? Resist evil, go back. If you'll draw nigh unto me, I'll draw nigh unto you. Follow me in, ha in having that mind of Christ. Now, um, just out of closing this morning, again, I'm not going to get to everything, so I'll just end it this way. Jesus goes on to t uh, teach us in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, we often refer to this as the uh, parable of the rich young ruler. And it talks about how we ought to have the mind of Christ in our possessions and our material things. And how if, we are, if we're more focused on our material things than we are on the spiritual things of God, no wonder we don't ever serve one another because we're all about what's mine and not what we can give to somebody else. Think about having the mind of Christ. And when you think about it, there's another parable over there uh, in Matthew 21, uh, verses 28 through 32. It's about the parable of the two sons. Uh, he asked, uh, I think it's important, I, I, I do want to draw this one little thing out real quick. Jesus asked a question and he says, But what think ye, a certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, 
Go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But the other son did not. And he says, and went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? And they said unto him, the first. Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Why did I bring that up? Because sometimes we as Christians who take on the name Christian, the Bible tells us, and the warning is this, to take not the name of God in vain. And I think for all of us who take on the name of Christ, and we go out and profess ourselves to be Christ, and we don't act like Christians, right here, there's your parable. It is better for us to, to repent and do the will of our Father than to go around acting like we're of our Father and not do a thing. Does that make sense? I knew I had to thank you, Lord, for allowing me to close with that one today. And again, there's a couple of others that I could bring out this morning. Uh, but I want to say it this way. I want us all to begin to start putting on the mind of Christ. We all need to repent and be converted on a daily basis. And are we going to be perfect at it? No. We're going to fail tomorrow. We're going to fail the next day. But you know what? I want us to go. I want us to remember the message that Jesus left. Through, uh, the, uh, through John in Revelation, the he that overcome, he that overcomes. The churches there, the seven churches of Asia, all had issues, but he says, if you will overcome, I'll not remove that candlestick, the joy that they had in those churches. I tell you, the message to us today is to be overcomers every day, trying to magnify and emulate God in everything that we do. And I encourage you, as the church, as the um, as Jesus did with the church of Ephesus there in Revelation in Revelation two, let's not be a people that goes through the labors and has patience and do, does all these things and forgets our first love. If we're going to grow in Christ and we're going to have the mind of Christ, we need to begin by loving Christ, loving His teachings more and more every day, and never forgetting what He did for all of us. And if we can remember that. That Christ died for sinners. Next time you look on somebody else and you elevate yourself in pride and you forget that, I'm, oh wait, I'm supposed to be a humble servant, you'll look on them different. You'll act on them different. And I hope and pray we'll all love them differently. God bless y'all.